If you have your Bible with you this morning, could you turn to Luke chapter 10 as we read what is one of the best known of the parables of Jesus. Over these last few weeks together, we have been looking, as I mentioned earlier in the service, at a series entitled Encountering the Power of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, as we come to this parable, we are asking ourselves, what is the Spirit of God teaching us through what is one of Jesus' best known parables? So we begin with Luke 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself and so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. And when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Over these Sundays, as I mentioned moments ago, we've been asking yourself about what it means to engage with the Spirit of God. How does He equip and enable us to live out our faith day by day? And we've looked in recent days in what does it mean to know the guidance of God with major decisions lying ahead of us. We've looked at what does it mean to nurture and nourish a strong and healthy relationship with God the Holy Spirit. We've looked at what does it mean to rest in his presence. And this morning as we come to this parable, we're asking, what does the teaching of Jesus here have to say to us as individuals, as family, but also as a culture and a society? Where is the Holy Spirit in the midst of the challenges we're facing Over the last eight or ten weeks, of course, we have been hit by a global pandemic, a national state of emergency. A hundred thousand of our fellow citizens have lost their lives. That's a staggering number. Businesses have closed. 
major stores gone into bankruptcy. 41 million people unemployed. Although this past Friday, there was a little good news in terms of the unemployment figures. And we are certainly in need of some good news and a glimmer of hope. And we've seen that glimmer of hope over the last two weeks or so as some major employers have opened. I'm thinking of Boeing and BMW and Michelin's and others. So small businesses have started to reopen. Schools and colleges, of course, remain closed, but we're hopeful for them as we move into August. And so we've had those little glimmers of hope that have been helpful in the midst of tough and difficult days. And all of that came crashing to an end on May the 25th. Across the nation, we watched the brutal and senseless slaying of George Floyd by a police officer in Minneapolis. That came very quickly on the heels of the death of a 25-year-old African-American from Georgia. Ahmed Arbery was his name. And in the midst of all of the chaos and violence that ensued, we have watched day by day as the old infected wounds of racial injustice have become inflamed, infected and opened up again. And sadly, a number of legitimate peaceful protests have been hijacked. And over the last ten days, we have seen violence and rioting and looting. Earlier last week, I think last Tuesday evening, David Dorn, 77 years old, retired police captain, was asked to come back and report for duty amidst violence and chaos and looting. And as he was trying to investigate a case of looting and protect a store that belonged to one of his friends, he was shot, killed. His death was put on Facebook. Can you imagine? His death was put on Facebook as if this was something to be proud of. And a man who had served his community for 38 years bled out live on Facebook. How does this passage speak into difficult days? How do we begin to bind up the open wounds of grief and mourning? of fear and frustration, hatred and violence, in an atmosphere which seems to define life itself with contempt and disdain and indifference. What is the Spirit of God saying to us this morning as we look at this passage? How do we respond as Christian people? How do we live out our faith Tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. What can we say? What can we do that will make an ounce of difference? Let me ask you please to hold those thoughts. And I promise we'll come back to them as we explore this passage together. Parables of Jesus are some of his best known teaching. Of course we know the story of the prodigal son. 
and the story of the Good Samaritan. Those are probably his best known, most famous parables, if I can put it that way. And the clarity and vitality and relevance of these parables speak, and it's difficult to overstate their importance. The parables make up approximately 35% of the teaching of Jesus in the Gospels. Here in Luke's Gospel, it takes up about 52% of his teaching. In Luke chapter 15, you have three parables in a row. They take up all of chapter 15 and a little of chapter 16. You have the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son. When children go to bed at night, and if you have wee ones at home or grandchildren that you delight to tuck in and pray with them, they probably will say, tell me a story. They almost never say, tell me some facts. Because even at that little age, under five, on through eights and nines, They know that the storyteller is able to capture the imagination. Is able to highlight in the story important things. Things with real meaning and significance. And they love to hear stories. And Jesus recognizing the importance of getting a point over through story and narrative was a master communicator. When we think of parables, parables are often brief and marked by simplicity, simplicity and symmetry. They're engaging. They're set in a particular context, as this one is, in the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. They're reflective of everyday life. They're told in a manner to help reorientate our thoughts and our behaviors. And of course, the meaning of the parable is usually right at the end, as it is in this parable. And so this morning, with all of that by way of introduction, let's look at the parable itself. It begins with Jesus entering into questions put to him by an expert in the Jewish law, the Old Testament, if you like. And Jesus went on to illustrate the point he was making when he begins by saying, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And the context of the parable is this, that Jerusalem is around 800, 1,000 feet above sea level, and Jericho is several hundred feet below sea level. To drive it today takes about 40 minutes. You drive out into the desert. It's a pretty desolate road, even today. There's not many people on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jericho is the oldest consistently inhabited city in the entire world. And you can visit it today. It's a spectacular look into the past. And here was a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was attacked by robbers, his goods stolen. He was beaten, and the passage tells us, half to death. Now, if you have ever been on the receiving end of a violent attack, that is a stunning experience. It knocks your confidence. It 
invades your mind, apart from all of the actual violence on your body. And here was a man left half dying. And Jesus makes the point that a priest was passing by, saw him there, but stepped to the other side of the road and kept going. And a Levite did the same thing. Then a Samaritan man. Why is that important? It's important because Samaritans and Jewish folks hated each other. They were ancient enemies. They despised one another. And so you could understand in some sense if he stepped off to one side and kept going. But he didn't. He refused to do that. He stepped up. He wanted to make a difference. He saw someone in great need, overwhelming need. And he wasn't thinking of himself. He was thinking of the man. And so he immediately tries to bind up and dress the wounds as much as he can. He lifts him onto his own donkey. He walks with him to an inn on the road. He then asks the innkeeper to look after his wounds, bind them up, give him something to eat and a bed for the night. And the next morning he leaves some money with the innkeeper and says, On my way back, if you need any more, please let me know. I'll be glad to help. And then Jesus finishes with go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Now, How does that speak to us in our current cultural context? Throughout scripture, we are taught that we consistently underestimate power, significance, and gravitas of sin. I've touched on it in the past on many occasions, but let me say it again. Scripture clearly teaches that we consistently underestimate the power, the gravitas, and the significance of sin. Over these last two weeks... We have watched sin manifest itself on main streets and in major cities. We have watched sin crouch in the shadows while encouraging hatred and violence and loathing. We have watched sin sustain and feed that hatred and aggression. Where life itself, life is treated with contempt and disdain. Photographed and videoed and made live on social media. As a nation, how should we respond? What should we say? As a nation, we have a voice and a choice. It's relatively easy to express our voice in suspicion and blame and point at someone else. Yet suspicion and distrust are not the principles that define who we are or should characterize us as a nation. We do not hold them to be self-evident. As a nation, we applaud peaceful protest. 
we applaud speaking out against injustice. We were founded on that principle. Our founding documents remind us we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men, not some, all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator. Not endowed by the culture, not endowed by society, not even endowed by the government, but endowed by their creator. With life comes rights. Certain, unalienable rights. That among these are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. That's who we are. That's what defines us. Not distrust and suspicion. We have a voice. And a choice. We can choose to submit and surrender to fear and violence, injustice and hate. Or we can stand for the core values that define us. Define us as a nation. And these core values were on display over these last ten days. Core values that weren't seen as often as they might when police officers would walk with protesters, when they would kneel to say, we're not here to harm, we're here to protect would gather together and pray together and sing together and embrace together. These are the values that define who we are. They should be self-evident. Protesters and police officers singing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. We have a choice. Where will our focus be? Suspicion and distrust and hatred and violence or say we are better than that. God calls us to show genuine, authentic care, to listen, to engage, to help, to walk alongside, to embrace together, sing together, pray together. That's who we are. Go and do likewise. The Good Samaritan had a choice. He could step up, make a difference, or he could walk on by. We likewise have a choice. Will we be part of the solution? Or sit back and complain and ridicule and sow seeds of distrust and suspicion? Or... Are we willing to care and to pray, to get alongside those whom we don't know, those whose background is different from us, those who think a little bit different from us? Go and do likewise. That's the hard work of the gospel. That's the hard work of listening to the Holy Spirit, engaging and living out our faith day by day by day by day and say, that's who we are. That's what defines us. 
As children of God, we have been the recipients of His eternal love and eternal grace. We know how much He cares for us to wrap His arms around us and draw us to Himself. Now go and do likewise. Love your neighbor. Not an empty platitude. Not something that's rolled out on these occasions. But take the initiative. Be proactive. Step up. Become part of the solution rather than be cynical and suspicious and sowing cords of distrust and aggression. Go and do likewise as he would have us do. Live out our faith day by day by day. There is absolutely, and let me be crystal clear on this issue, there is absolutely no place for racial injustice in the heart of the Christian. There is absolutely no place for racial injustice in the heart of the Christian. Or injustice of any kind. It is time to refuse to surrender to fear and violence. It is time to take a stand. It is time to say with one people and one voice and one nation, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see and go and do likewise. Amen. 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 Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we come to you this morning. A nation grieving over the loss of innocent life. A nation who repudiate violence and hatred. A nation who say enough of suspicion and distrust and discord. Enable us, please, to be your children. To go and do likewise. To become part of a solution. Not to simply be cynical, skeptical, quick to blame and refuse to act. Oh, Father, put your hand upon us, draw us close, and enable us, please, O oh God, to be your children. In Jesus' name we pray.